Today, we're going to be taking up the topic of eternal security and Christian assurance. Now, this is a topic that is very real and a topic that is actually, surprisingly, it's, it's, it's one of the most requested questions on a, a, a podcast that I listen to. They said they get this question every week. And so I thought, man, this is a, a real uh, important thing to deal with in, in the category of the Christian life. It's one of the responses that came in. And, and as you think about it, sometimes in this mix, the response is given, oh, we, you know, don't worry about that. Don't worry about answering that. Don't, don't, don't worry, Christian. You're, everything's fine. And rather than biblically answering, sometimes a response is just to kind of avoid or downplay this. What's interesting is Paul was not on that, uh, on that bandwagon at all. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, this is what he said. Christians, he's speaking to the Corinthian church. He says to them, examine yourselves. Look inside. Consider this. See whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. And so there's a lot of testing going on in our in our day, lots of COVID testing, and I thought this morning we should run some tests here at the church. Not those kind, thankfully. That's quite in, intrusive. But, uh, but the faith tests, right? We're going to engage this morning the passages of Scripture and try to understand where do we stand with the gospel. Uh, it's a good thing to do. In fact, the danger of not doing this is even more scary. We read in the Gospels that Jesus himself said, there will be many who will hear these words upon saying all the things they had done in the church and in your name we did this and we fed the poor and we did this and, 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 and their response from Christ will be, I never knew you. Depart from me, workers of lawlessness. Now, if that doesn't give you pause, I mean, at, at that level... My prayer is that no one in this church would ever hear those words. But there's work to be done individually and together as a, as a church to make sure that we are engaging what is the gospel and have I truly received the life that is promised in the gospel? I don't want anyone to hear those words. So let's dig into this. Let's begin with crucial, crucial questions. That's hard to say five times really fast. Crucial questions. I boiled all of the aspects of this topic into two main categories, and I put it down into two questions. The first question is this. It deals with the nature of the life that is given in the gospel. Is it possible for a Christian to lose their salvation? Or you could say it this way. Is the, the life that is given to a believer life that is sure and certain and cannot fail? Or is it something else? Now, the reality is, is that there are abuses of this doctrine, and uh, I want to deal with both of these just right out of the gate so that we can dispense with the abuses and get to the text. That's what we want. We want the Word of God to speak. Sometimes we run into this, what I would call the terrified Christian life. I had a friend in Bible school my freshman year. He grew up in a Wesleyan church. Uh, a, a church that taught free will theology. It was an Arminian church. And, and he was believing that it was possible for him to sin his way out of grace. To That's a nice way of saying, you're going to hell. 
Like you were saved and now you're not. And the reality is, is this poor kid, Corey, he was terrified in the Christian life. He was not living a victorious Christian life. He was living the terrified Christian life. So one day I went into the stairwell. I heard this ruckus, and he's in the stairwell pounding his fist into the wall, kind of trying to atone somehow for sin that he had committed in his life, convinced that he was going to hell again, and that he had to be saved all over again. And then the next week, and then the next week, I took him aside and I said, brother, Listen, man, you got to see the promises of the gospel. That is not the case. God is not pulling the rug out from you and making it all about what you do. You've forgotten the work is finished, brother. Jesus finished the work. That's the good news of the gospel. On the other side of the equation, there is what I would call the license to sin, right? This is the fire insurance people. Sometimes Lyndon gets a little accused of this, right? The frozen chosen. They get up there and they're like, hey man, I said the prayer. I'm good to go. I can live however I want because my sins are forgiven. I can live for the world. I can run in the dark. I can do whatever I want. I, I'm good to go. I got the ticket. Friends, let's just say this. There will be many who have chosen to live that way who will hear those words. Depart from me workers of lawlessness never knew you it's not the gospel the gospel is not come rub the lamp require god to give you something and then live however you want that's the cheapening of grace think how low a view of the precious blood of christ a life like that would lead to i sin do whatever i want jesus died for it it's all good that person is likely not saved. That's terrible theology. In both extremes, let's push that all aside, both the first and the second extreme, and let's just go to the text, right? Let's not be afraid to let the text take us where it goes and then just follow and embrace it fully. So the first question, is it possible for a Christian to lose their salvation? Let me just give you the answer up front. No, it's not. 100% no, you cannot lose your salvation. And I will give you a, a full scriptural answer for that uh, in a few moments. The second half of the sermon, though, I want to deal with something that's different than security. It's assurance. It's the question, how can I find assurance that I am truly saved today? Can I know that? And I believe the answer is yes, you, you can know that. And 1 John, for example, is the book filled with encouragement for us to know that and to identify things that we can point to and say, there it is, there's evidence, there is fruit, there is displays of the work of God in my life. And so we'll do that second. The first question, can a Christian lose their salvation? Let's begin there, eternal security. A very familiar verse, kids, you guys will know this one. John 3, 16 happens to be one of my favorite verses. The answer is in this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, that's a subgroup of everybody. Everybody's not just good just because Jesus died. We've got to be clear. Only those who believe in Christ will not perish, 
but instead will have eternal life. It doesn't just say life. There's a nature. What kind of life will they have? It is eternal, unending. It's, it's, it's not going to perish or finish. It's, it is certain. It is eternal. And the word have is no throwaway either. The word have. But have, not will receive upon their death. So you have to ask the question, Christian, when did your eternal life begin? I'll just tell you this morning, you're in it right now. You're living in it. When I was five years old, my eternal life began. I'm a number of years into my eternal life. Praise God for that. Eternal life begins the moment that you believe in Jesus Christ. And that belief is the evidence of God saving you. He reaches down to a dead soul and he says, live and you are made new, born again. And the first thing you do upon receiving that gift of salvation is say, save me, deliver me, be my Savior, be my Lord, be my God. Life. Life happens. Eternal life. The question of when it takes place is answered here once again. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If anyone is in Christ, he is, not will be, he is currently a new creation. New creation, as in let there be kind of creation. A new creation of God. The old has passed away and behold new has come now ask the question this way if you think that you can lose your salvation is God literally going to say okay I know I made you a new creation the old has passed away new has come but wow I just didn't anticipate you being such a jerk right so here's what we're going to do I'm going to take away all of the new that I made and I'm going to bring back this old throwaway and there you go, have fun, that's it. He would be a liar. God is not a liar. He doesn't promise and then pull the rug out. He makes you new in Christ, and eternally so. A new creation. Think of it this way. Before you became a Christian, the deepest thing about you was, the most defining reality of your life was, sin rebellion, hatred of God. My will be done, not your will be done. That is what defines sinners. Natural born sinners, that's who we all are. Left to ourselves, that's what we continue to be, and we run breakneck to the fires of hell. When God in His mercy and His lavish love sovereignly causes you to live in salvation, you cease to be that person, your new creation. You become someone new. Guess what? The most defining reality of that new person, what is that? The righteousness of Christ. The deepest thing, the truest identifier of you as a believer is no longer sin. It's the righteousness of Christ. We are robed in it, defined by it. In fact, the Christian life is really summed up, be who you are in Christ. Live out of that place, all of that. Draw from the wellspring of righteousness which is yours by faith in Christ. 
That's what sanctification is. It's an amazing transformation that God does. A new creation. In addition to this, we read in Ephesians that you were sealed by God with the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. So the moment you were saved, Christian, there was a massive change that took place. You were made to live, and you were the receiver of God himself. His Spirit was sent to dwell in you, and dwelt by the power of the Holy Spirit himself. That presence of the Holy Spirit serves to be a, a deposit or a mark or a stamp of ownership. This is mine. He is my son forever. Proof evidenced by the seal of God. His Spirit dwells here. This is my daughter, eternally so. She is mine forever. Saved. That's eternal life, friends. That's eternal security. You could define security this way. The security of our salvation, you can fill these blanks in on your, on your notes in the back of the bulletin. The security of our salvation in Christ is rooted in the promises of a sovereign and faithful God. That is where we understand and draw confidence from. It don't look to yourself to try to find confidence. If we look to us, man, that's disappointment. Don't spend a lot of time looking in the mirror to build your confidence in the Christian life. Build your confidence that you are His and secure in that on the promises of God. He is sovereign. He is able. He is faithful. And He has said, you are His forever. Listen to these verses. Paul writes, I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Wow. You see these home remodeling shows and a lot of people get really gung-ho about remodeling, you know, and they get the sledgehammer and the saws all out and they're like, let's do this. And they just start shredding walls and tearing things up. And that's the best part of it, isn't it? Just breaking things. And then all of a sudden you're, you're in the project and you're like, wow, this is way harder than it was on the TV show. We, we should, we, let's just take a break, Right. And then a few years go by and you have an unfinished project. God never does that. God finishes what He starts. Always. He will never leave off. He will never say, man, I'm going to save you. Ah, forget it. Got in over my head there. Too much work. You're a lost cause. I'm done with that. Never. He who began a good work, that's salvation. He saved you, brought you to life. He will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What is that? Glorification. That's the final step of your salvation. It is when you are made glorified by God himself. Sinless, pure, spotless, like that wedding dress. It is on the foundation of this confidence that Paul uh, or the, in, in Hebrews that we read this, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, right? Don't, don't lose hope. Don't quit. Keep believing. Why? Because of us? No. Because He who promised is faithful. The foundation of our confidence that we are secure is not found in us. It is found in Him. 
who he is, what he's promised. Christian, be encouraged. We're going to be okay. He holds us, and he will not let go. Listen to the golden chain of salvation, as theologians refer to this. The golden chain of salvation. Those whom the Father predestined, he also called. Now let's, let's identify our terms. Predestination, that's the assigning of a destiny. And we would say eternal destiny. He, he has assigned an eternal destiny. And all those that he has assigned that to, the glorious eternal life destiny, he has also called. What is the call? The call there is the call to life. It's the call of life. Not the general call of the gospel like I'm doing this morning. Be saved. Repent of your sins. It is the individual, supernatural, saving call of God that happens in a moment and you are saved. He brings you to life. All those whom he called, he also justified. That is declared righteous. He called you from the dead out of darkness into his marvelous light through his son Jesus, and he declared you righteous. How did he do that? Every act of obedience his son ever committed is imputed to you, applied to your bank account, deposited to you as if you obeyed. All of your disobedience is set upon Christ. It's the great exchange and paid for in full and buried in the tomb. You are declared righteous. And now look at this. This is an amazing link. And those whom he justified, he also glorified with none lost, none left out. Think of this. From eternity past, the Father has chosen all he would save, and he has brought them to life as he planned, and he has declared them righteous, and every single person he has saved, he will glorify. It's in the past tense, as if it's already done in the mind of God. It's, it's a finished work. History just has to roll out and finish the plan. There is no broken link in this chain. There is never a, a caveat, well, except for, you know, Corey at, at, at Bible school who just, just struggled. No. If you've been justified, you will be glorified. You can count on it. What confidence this leads us to. Listen to John 10. This is Jesus, right? Paul agrees with Jesus. Jesus agrees with Paul. It's the Word of God. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. What an amazing statement. I give them what kind of life? Eternal life. They will never perish. Even in death, it's not death. They won't perish. Their body goes buried only for a time to be raised imperishable. And no one will snatch them out of my hand, Jesus says. My Father who has given them to me. Now, what's that? The Father elected and assigned the destiny, and then he gave a, a group of people that he had chosen to set his covenant love and grace upon. He gave them to his Son as a gift. That's the bride. The bride, the the bride was given by the Father, given away to the Son. What a beautiful gift. And He is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. He will not lose any of all that the Father has given Him. Spectacular truth. Count on it, Christian. Count on it. Not because of you, but because of Him.
He's faithful. He is sovereign. He is promised. An unshakable confidence we have. This is spectacular. It is the kind of confidence that we need when we deal with sin in this life. When we are confronted with our unworthiness and we stare at it and we say, oh, I don't deserve. I don't deserve. And the enemy begins to whisper and say, you're right, you don't. You don't deserve this. You're worthy of hell. You are worthless. You are nothing. And to that we respond, wrong. He has made provision for my sin. I am a child of the King. Forgiven. Set free. Eternally secure in Him. It's unshakable. This is why Paul can say this. I am sure Sure, Christian, can you say this? I am sure with Paul that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, things present or things to come, nor powers or height or depth, nor anything else in all of creation, and that includes you, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Praise God for that. Satan, he can't do it. Sin, it's been dealt with, friends. You dwell secure in the God who has promised. And so we must ask the question then, what about those who walk away from Christ? I sat under the preaching, as I mentioned a few sermons ago, of a man who preached in our church for a number of years, and all of a sudden, he had nothing to do with the gospel. He wants nothing to do with Christians. He wants nothing to do with the Bible. And he's basically promoting himself now. He works for Oprah. What do I make of that? What happened there? Or the Christian rock guy, right? Who, who goes around the world leading people in the worship of God, singing praise to Jesus. And then he decides he's, he's, he's unchristian now. He's not a Christian anymore. He wants nothing to do with it. Or the guy who kissed dating goodbye. Remember that book? And then pastored in a church and did all these things. And then he decided, you know what? Maybe homosexuality isn't a sin. And, and maybe I should apologize for the things I've written. And then all of a sudden he was like, I'm not a Christian. I'm done with this too. What happened? Here's what we have to avoid. I've seen this happen far too often. Our theology, what we believe about God cannot be shaped by our experiences in this world as if those are authoritative or our own experiences. Ultimately, they are not authoritative. What is authoritative? The Word of God. The Word of God is true. So if you believe that homosexuality is a sin and all of a sudden your close, close friend that you love dearly and you know well decides that he is going to be gay, don't change your theology and call it love for that man. That's not love. You walk away from authority in order to show sympathy and, and love for this person. No, love says, listen, I care about you, but that's sin. That's what that is. How many people have said, well, I used to believe this till someone I knew changed my mind. You are secure, Christian, no matter how many Christians walk away from the faith. 
It, it, it doesn't matter. It won't change the reality. Christians dwell secure. So what then do we make of this? Some say, well, they, they lost their salvation. The Bible says, no, they didn't. They did not lose eternal life. The promise has not failed. Two things then. One, they're either rebelling, or two, they are revealing. If, in fact, they are rebelling against God, then they face the discipline of God, which can be quite swift and stern. He loves those and disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. And he will discipline those who rebel against him. Kids, listen close. Learn it now. Don't rebel against the God who loves you. He is a God who loves you enough to discipline you with a rod. He can even take your life if you drag his name through the mud and tear down his glory as you carry the name of Christ. Stay true to him. Pursue him. Love him. Be faithful. The second category is far more concerning. It may in fact be revealing that this person was never a Christian to begin with. It is so easy for religion to happen and someone who maybe has certain gifts kind of moves up into areas of leadership and this, that, and the other. But at the end of the day, they don't have a fire for Christ. They have a form of religion. This is what we read in 1 John 2.19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. When they say going out, that's a departure of the faith. They're leaving Christ, stiff-arming the gospel, walking away from the word. It reveals that, in fact, they were never saved. Hebrews 6 has very clear warnings for that kind of situation. There is serious judgment to be faced, a hardening of a heart for those who have tasted of the worship in the church setting, who have heard the preaching of God's Word, and in view of that, stiff arm, I'm down, I'm done, I'm gone. Scary stuff. So I would encourage you, the first response we should have in our hearts is pray. Pray for these people who say, I'm done with Jesus, I'm walking. I've had it happen to friends of mine, right? You see conversion, you see, you think they're saved, and all of a sudden, and then they stiff arm and they run off into the dark, into the world. Pray for them. As long as they are alive and breathing, God can save. He's sovereign. He can do it. He can soften the hardest heart. So pray, O Lord, show your grace there. Keep reaching, keep speaking. Genuine faith, therefore, is persevering faith. It is a persevering faith. A faith that does not persevere to the end will prove itself to be fake, false, fraudulent. Genuine faith perseveres to the end. So many verses on this. It's the P at the end of the tulip. The perseverance of the saints. It is a biblical doctrine. It is a call forward. We are to persevere to the end. And we will, friends. 
We will because of his commitment, his, his grip. It's as if we're holding on to him and he sets his hands, his sovereign, powerful, able hands and says, I will not let you go. I will not let you go. I will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. I will hold you. I will keep you. I will preserve you. I will strengthen and enable you. And we are going to make it all the way through the tape at the end of the marathon. Genuine faith is persevering faith. Gotquestions.org, great website. Check them out. I love how they said this. Salvation is a sovereign act of God whereby... An unregenerate sinner is washed, renewed, and born again by the Holy Spirit. Comes from John 3 3, Titus 3 5. When salvation occurs, God gives the forgiven sinner a new heart. He gives him a new heart. That's why the deepest thing about you is no longer sin. You have a new heart. And he puts in, in us a new spirit, a new inclination, a new longing, a new desire of love for God, of Delight in God and His kingdom and His people and His work and His glory. Listen to how this works. The Holy Spirit indwelling the new believer will cause the saved person to walk in obedience to God's Word. Cause. Cause. He will, as it says in Ezekiel 36, write His law on our hearts and cause us to walk in His way. What an amazing thing that is. Obedience marks the life of a Christian. That obedience can be traced back to the praise of God through the work of His Spirit in us. He doesn't just save us and leave us. He saves us and He leads us every step of the way, enabling our obedience, causing us to obey and delight and love and grow in Him. Listen to how The closing of Jude is, what a beautiful doxology. Now to him who is able. Do you see that? Sovereign. He's able. He can do this. Able to what? Able to keep you, Christian, from stumbling, from making shipwreck of your faith, from departing from Christ. He is able to keep you from stumbling, and he is able to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with joy. Think of that. That white dress is going to be shining white. Why? Because He's able. He's able to bring us all the way to the end. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. We'll be there. Forever. It doesn't end doesn't end. Hmm. So, can a Christian lose their salvation? We can all agree from the Scriptures the answer is a resounding no. Why? Because of the promise of God. That's where we ground our confidence. He promised eternal life and we will have it all the way to glorification. Now, Christian assurance deals with a different aspect of this. How do I know I'm saved? What are some indicators? What are some ways that I I deal with this? For instance, when the question comes to me, I get this all the time. Pastor, I'm just struggling to know if I'm saved. I I, I don't know what to do. I I feel like I, I, I have doubts. I don't know what to do with these doubts. Is that wrong? I mean, do Christians have doubts? 
Yes, yes. Faith is not the absence of fear or doubt. It's the confidence in God's promises that overcomes those. So when they come up, what do we do? We trust. We employ our trust in God. What about if I'm in sin? Well, there's serious questions to ask. Let's talk about that. Do Christians sin? Yes, we do. We all sin. We need the grace of God every day. But that sin that once owned us has has had its power broken. We have the gospel. We breathe the air of the gospel. We have forgiveness in Christ. So how do we deal with this? Where, where, Where do we go? My favorite place to go is just the simplicity of the gospel. That's where I always begin. GSCC, right? God, sin, Christ, and the last C is commit. I forgot that the first service. They really gave it to me. I said, we all remember this, right? And I totally forgot it. G-S-C-C. That's the gospel. Listen to how simple the gospel is. This is the testimony, friends. God gave us life. Not just life. Eternal life. And this life that He has given to us, not will give, but has given us, this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has the life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And then he says this. This is the purpose statement of the entire book of 1 John. I write these things to you who believe. To Christians, that's us, those who believe in the name of the Son of God. Why? What's his goal? That you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you will get it, but that you have it right now, today. I write these things so that you may know. So the answer is, can a Christian know? beyond a shadow of a doubt, that he is saved? The answer is yes, 100%. It's founded in the work of the gospel, the finished work of Christ. It is established again in the security that we have in the promises of God. And I would say it is reassured as we begin to see evidences of God's work in our life. Three different things to build out on this. Assurance of our salvation is found as we trust in the promises of God, as our trust in the promises of God is evidenced in our life. Okay, this is important to say. We are saved from the roots of our confidence and trust in Christ's finished work alone. That is what we are saved. But we are set then into the call to grow, to bear fruit, to to display that salvation workingly, with works, with fruit on the branches. Sometimes people plant the tree upside down. They think that stuff that we do is what saves us. That's not true. But faith without works is dead. There is not genuine faith if there is no fruit. And so we're called to begin to test ourselves, look on the branches, See if there is fruit in your life. That is evidence that you have truly embraced the promises of God. So, a few things. One, the testimony of concern. Often when people come, they come concerned. Concerned about sin. Concerned about doubt. Concerned about whether they're saved. And I'll often just say, listen, you guys realize that sinners rarely share this concern. People who are not saved tend not to worry about sin. 
People who are not alive in Christ are not that worried about their relationship with Christ. They're worried about their will, their way, living for the world, getting stuff, and, and that kind of, So the fact that you're concerned is a good sign. That's a good thing. That's something to lean into, not just push off. It's not enough, though. So I will go then to the internal testimony of the Holy Spirit. Begin to ask questions. Let's talk about your hunger for the Word. Let's talk about your, your, your awareness of your own sin. Let's talk about your love for God's people. You know, 1 John, like from cover to cover of 1 John, he just goes through this amazing list of displays of what Christians will begin to show forth as they are alive in Christ. The internal testimony of the Holy Spirit is a spectacular thing. Paul writes this in Romans 8 once again. What a chapter. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may, we may be also glorified with him. There's the perseverance. You see that? See how it weaves in? And we will, all those who are genuinely saved, will suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. So how does the Spirit bear witness with our spirit? In our day, there's a lot of mumbo-jumbo about the Holy Spirit. Lots of noises, lots of flopping, lots of fire tunnels and gold dust and weird stuff like that. That is totally opposite of what this book calls forth. The Holy Spirit draws attention to Christ, and He does so how? Through the book, through the Word that He wrote. This is the product of the Holy Spirit right here, this book. That is the primary way He's going to confirm life in you. He's going to give you a hunger for His Word. He's going to have you sitting and preaching and saying, I want more. He's going to say to you as you read That's glorious. What an awesome love this is. What an amazing God we have. What a gift He's given that He would forgive me. That's the testimony of the Spirit. He's going to convict you of sin. He's going to call you to righteousness. He's going to lead you away from judgment. This is all the work of the Spirit in our lives. And it all comes through the Word of God as we grow and walk together. The third aspect of this testimony that we are uh, saved is the evidentiary testimony of our lives. So we have this this evidence. This is what we look for when we look for the fruit. What kind of fruit hangs on the branches of my life? What do I see? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Look at the contrast. So if, if you're wondering, am I going to hear that? Depart from me, worker of lawlessness. One of the ways you can get a feel for where you're at is, do I delight to obey the Lord? Or is this all about me still? My will, my glory, my kingdom, my popularity, what people think of me. Oh, I did this in your name. I got a brick. 
outside the church with my name on it, right? There's a plaque on my chair. We were in a church like that recently. They're, they had literally on every pew names of people, and I, that's probably awesome, but I, anyway, I, we don't do that here. The one who does the will of my Father. This is what John MacArthur says. Obedience is the only validation of your salvation. If you're looking for assurance, ask yourself, do I love to obey God? Do I love His law? Psalm 119, read it through. I delight to do your commandments. I love them. They're more precious than gold or silver. It is the only possible proof that you really recognize the lordship of Jesus Christ. When you obey you delight to have Jesus sit on the throne in your life. When you would rather sit on that throne, you're proving that you don't want a king because you already are a king. You don't want to give up the reins of your life. You'd rather rule. Christians delight to say, Lord, here's the throne. Lead on. My life is yours. My days are yours. My career is yours. My family is yours. Everything I have is yours. Let's go. All in. Hmm. John says it this way, God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. Now, so often people can put the label Christian on and go to church on Sundays and do you know good things, but then Monday comes and it's like, hey, come on world, let's go. I like the darkness. I love living over here. I, I, don't, I don't want the light. I'll do that on Sundays, but this is my, this is my party place. I st- this, is, this is where I live, man. This is fun. Someday I'll go over there. You're probably not saved. I mean, you've got to hear that. I don't say that to judge you, but you should be judging and examining and testing and draw the conclusions that need to be drawn. John's calling you a liar. Don't say you love the light if you live in the dark. That's hypocrisy. And God loves us too much to not call us out. If you stay there, you'll hear those words. Depart from me, worker of lawlessness. I never knew you. Genuine faith is fruitful faith. Genuine faith is fruitful faith. James, the book of James, would say it this way, faith without works is dead. Faith, true faith, is going to be active faith, loving faith, living faith, expressive faith. That is true saving faith. If you look in your life and there is no fruit to see, go back to the gospel, right? You, you need to be saved. Now, be encouraged, friend, If there is fruit on the branches of your life and it's not like the fruit of the person sitting next to you, that's okay. It's not about perfection. It's about progression, growing in godliness day by day. Each of us is going to be a little different. We're all called to grow and be fruitful, though. Listen to what Paul writes in Galatians. The works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, okay? 
the nightly news, basically. And as if that list doesn't cover it all. I mean, you love Paul. Like, he makes these lists, and then he adds this. And things like these, everything else. You know the category. Worldliness. And then lovingly he says this. I warn you, Galatian believers, I warn you, good shepherd people, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't fool yourselves. If you are making a home here with that list and that doesn't absolutely disturb you and cause you to tremble, you are not saved. That's what he's saying. In contrast to that, he calls this out. But in contrast to the dark, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Think of how we shine in our day. Think of the contrast to believers. Think of even in the politics and the situation we, we have right now with all this political upheaval. Think of what Christians can shine like. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness. That's perseverance. Don't quit. Don't give up. We run through the tape. Gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ, if you belong to Christ, you have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. It means you've made war. You've gone to war with this. That's, that's, that's what it means to be a Christian now. You've made, been made alive and then turned loose to war on your sin in the strength and the victory of Jesus Christ. You could say it this way. A heart at home with God will be at war with sin. Conversely, a heart at home with sin will be at war with God. Where do you stand this morning? I mean, look at your life. Ask yourself, where am I? It's important to ask these questions. Am I at home with my sin? Do I coddle it? Do I give it expression and room to run in my life? Do I protect it from the Lord or from other believers? Am I trying to keep my darkness is it precious to me? It may indicate, in fact, that your label doesn't fit. If so, run to the gospel. Run, run to Christ. Run to him and repent of your sins. Run to the light and find forgiveness and freedom. Hmm. I love how John Owen, the great Puritan writer, said it. He said this way to believers, Take heart in battled saint. If you are fighting sin, you are alive. I love that. I love that. Fighting your sin. If you are fighting your sin, you've got evidence of salvation functioning in your life. It's a sanctification. That's what that looks like. God progressively making us holy in the image of Christ. And then he warns. But if sin holds sway in your life unopposed, you are dead no matter how lively that sin makes you feel. The fleeting pleasures of the world may offer a little glimmer of satisfaction and they will run you to the fires of hell. There is no lasting joy to be found there, only slavery and darkness and death forever under the wrath of God in comparison 
Oh, I love this. The, the testimonies of the Lord are pure. They are radiant. They give light to the eyes, right? Uh, you, you satisfy here with a satisfaction the world knows nothing of. Hmm. Progressive sanctification. So Christian, ask the question, do I hate my sin more? Do I love God increasingly? Am I more committed to the Word of God? Do I love God's people increasingly? Am I hunting and addressing and choking out the sin in my life? Patterns, behaviors, lingering effects of the old man. This is what the Christian life entails, friends. It is a glorious work enabled by the power of God, the Spirit of God, the Word of God, the people of God. We grow together. We run the race together. When we sin, and we will, and we do, every day, breathe the air of the Gospel. Breathe the air of the Gospel. Now, you're not getting saved every time you repent of your sins. You are a Christian. You are forgiven. You are eternally His. You are His child forever. But when, by His grace, He convicts you through His Spirit and His Word of your sin, delight in that love. Call it what it is. Confess it to Him. As it were, take your hands and say, Oh Lord, my hands are dirty. I wash them afresh in the finished work of Christ who paid for that sin. Cleanse me. I want nothing between us. I want intimacy. I want to be close with you. I want to walk with you. Thank you for forgiving me. Lead me forward. Help me to turn against that sin. Make me pure like Jesus. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a promise, friends. Listen to this benediction that Paul writes to the Thessalonian church. He says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, believers. Think of, that's amazing. May the God of peace himself make you clean, purify you thoroughly, completely, May He make that wedding dress bright and clean and pure and radiant. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless. How's that? Gospel. Every day, gospel. At the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Does it sound temporary to you? Does it sound unsure or uncertain? No. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. Case closed. Case closed. The reason our eternity is secure is because God says it is. The reason we can know this salvation is because He gives us glimpses of growth and evidence of His work in our lives as we grow. He's committed to finishing the work that He began in your life, Christian. You can dwell secure. So our response here, dwell secure in the gospel promises of a sovereign and faithful God. Dwell secure, Christian. Don't be afraid when you feel the whisper of the enemy in your ear. No, you must not be saved. There's no way. Look at all your life. Look at all this mess. There's no way God would want you. 
dispense with that garbage. Those are lies from the pits of hell. You're his forever. And number two, reassure your heart as you see evidences of God's grace at work in your life as you grow. Think of this. You can find this confidence. You can know. Look at what he's doing. It's not perfect. No, it's not. But it's progressing and it's heading toward glory. And he's going to finish that work. If you're here today and you're thinking, my goodness, I thought I was a Christian until I came and heard this guy. Now I'm worried. Now I'm worried that I might have been wearing a label that just was fooling myself. I've, honestly, I've been living in the dark. What do I do? Here's the good news. Run to the cross. Be forgiven. Find life in Jesus Christ. Begin to walk in truth and life today. Today you can find that kind of life. I guarantee it. It's held out today. Trust in Jesus. Repent of your sins. Bow before His Lordship and you will be saved and you will be filled with His Spirit and you will desire to grow and walk and, and be with Him forever. Let's pray. Father, we delight in Your love. It is a love that we don't deserve. It is amazing love. It's truly amazing to consider that you decided in eternity past to set your love upon us, the unworthy sinners, the rebels, the, the, the haters of God. We delight that you don't just save us and then leave us to ourselves to try to figure out how to stay saved. But Lord, that you enable us and hold us and preserve us and protect us and grow us and strengthen us day after day, after day, until we meet you face to face. I thank you for your love for us in Jesus Christ. What a gift you have given. Oh, God, thank you. We give praise to you for your faithfulness to your vow. I will never leave you or forsake you. For our confidence in your finished work, Jesus, we thank you for the confidence that we are yours forever. Nothing can separate us from your love. Father, help Use us this week to shine this amazing testimony to a world that is in such need of hope. Help us to shine bright for your glory and the furtherance of your kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.